At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hard-working hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I had the joy of reuniting with Brett Warshaw, who many of you longtime Food 50 tours will remember as our managing editor from the early days, who went on to work at Lucky Peach and is now an editor at Apple News. Brett's dedication to researching and writing and spreadsheeting have also spilled into her free time, which is when she launched a newsletter breaking down the differences between commonly confused things, like baking powder and baking soda, burrata and stracciatella, grinders and hoagies, and most importantly, why we should all care about the differences. And now she's turned it into a book called What's the Difference? Recreational Culinary Reference for the Curious and Confused. Later in this episode, Brett will break down some of the questions that are bound to come up in holiday shopping and baking and familial debates. But first, here's Brett to tell us about the nagging food question that started it all. This all started from an argument with some friends over the difference between a sweet potato and a yam. And I feel like as a food person, I am usually the person that people turn to for conundrums such as that. And uh, so people asked me and I realized I didn't actually know the answer. Like I'd probably made something up that sounded right, but I didn't actually know the answer. And so obviously I went on a deep dive on the internet to find out what the true answer was. And then I realized that I had so many other related questions. And so I pulled some friends and got some topic ideas for, um, what other questions they might have. I, of course, had some of my own and then decided to just launch a newsletter for fun and kept that going for a few years. And now there's a book. Yeah. It's so fascinating that you turned this into a newsletter and then, of course, a book, because these are the kinds of things that I feel like come up in all of our lives. It reveals a lot about interpersonal dynamics in your family or your friend group, you know, who is the person who's always turned to, who is the person who always kind of has to be right, who is the person who always goes and looks things up to prove something. And you were the person who not only like was intrigued by this subject, but had the initiative to go and turn it into a regular newsletter. 
What's been your role in these kinds of debates in your past? I do think I am that person that people will ask for better or worse. I seem to find random things interesting and therefore know random things about things that you would never really need to know about. Sometimes that comes in handy when trying to end an argument. It really came in handy. Recently, we were in a meeting talking about a clementine cake and um, with my team here at Food 52, Amy and Emily. And I was like, wait a minute, because we were kind of like, wait, is a tangerine a clementine? Is it like is a mandarin like what are what's the difference between all these things that we just we we kind of buy interchangeably um when we want a small orangish fruit that's easy right. to peel <laughs> <laughs> and um and then I was like wait I have the perfect thing and you had an entry on it it totally taught me something new too i would have just assumed that they were all different just different fruits you know like all cousins but what is it a mandarin is the like super category of all of them right yes clementines satsumas tangerines those are all mandarins wild you say the things that unite them are they are orange fruits they have a flattish top and bottom um they're easy to peel which is so helpful especially as a parent of a young child <laughs> <laughs> and um but you also say that they can range in size from that of a ping pong ball to that of a dodgeball, which like that is not going to leave my brain anytime soon. Just trying <laughs> to picture. So I, I can totally see why this would be not just a quick culinary reference for either like answering a question when you're doing your grocery shopping or, um, you know, doing your baking and deciding, oh, can I actually substitute this kind of thing for another or solving a debate between friends. But to actually help you remember these things the next time. Yeah, I think that was something that was important to me to include. Obviously, knowing what's correct is great, but also being able to throw in some more fun facts, like with the sweet potato and yam one, Henry VIII was said to eat 24 sweet potatoes per meal. It's like, how can I learn that and like not put that in this book? I love that. Can you think of any other examples of things that really shocked you as you were researching? You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Um, yeah, I would say the sweet potato yam one is really, I keep on going back to that, but that was a great example because I learned that what is labeled yams at the grocery store, really, they're all sweet potatoes, which is pretty wild. And I felt very lied to. <laughs> True yams are a lot different than sweet potatoes and are more part of Japanese and um, certain cuisines in Africa. Yeah. It was in the 1930s when someone started calling them yams and now we're still calling them that. So frustrating. <laughs> I know. Another one that kind of surprised me and just it made so much sense once I once I read it was dinner versus supper. Mm -hmm. um, like it, it feels like dinner is the most common thing that that you see people calling the evening meal. But like every once in a while you see supper pop up. And I feel like my um, my family at a certain point, probably led by my grandmother, used to call it Thanksgiving dinner and then we would have it early in the day. Um, uh -huh. And now it makes sense to me, your explanation of like what that is a vestige of. These days, dinner and supper refer to the meal that is at the end of the day. 
but in the, like the 17 and 1800s dinner actually was came around lunchtime and supper was what we called the meal at the end of the day and it was usually a lighter meal rather than dinner than midday meal which was a lot larger but with the rise of industrialization people couldn't make it home for a big midday feast anymore and so the main meal shifted to the evening so instead of calling the end of the day supper it became dinner and lunch a new word became the midday meal now we're just like eating salads in front of our computers we just accept things the way they are now and forget that they ever were different until you learn something like that are there any other examples that come to mind that you think would be really useful to people during holiday cooking and baking? Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. In terms of holiday baking, I want to give a shout out to Erin McDowell for some mm-hmm. of these because she was my baking expert that I turned to to ask a bunch of these questions. So I'm definitely going to need to give her some credit for teaching me the differences between these things. With the yeast, we have active dry yeast, we have fresh yeast, and we have instant yeast. Fresh yeast is definitely the, I would say, the outlier of the bunch. It's really light and soft and super perishable, and you actually have to store it in the fridge. And it's 70% water by weight, and 100% of the yeast cells are living and active. What that actually means is that you can put it right into a recipe, like right into a dough, or something like that. You don't have to proof it, which is nice, I guess. Like at least for me, when I bake with yeast, I'm always a little bit stressed about like, oh, is the yeast like activated or not? Are there enough bubbles? Like with fresh yeast, you just put it right in. That being said, it definitely is a little bit more finicky because as I said, it's more perishable. So with active dry yeast, the yeast is exposed to such high temperatures that many of the cells get destroyed, which means that is the reason you actually have to proof the yeast to kind of slough off those dead cells and expose Mm. the active living ones. And then, you know, once they start making bubbles, you know, it's ready to go. And instant yeast, the drying process is a gentler sort of thing, which means that all the dried particles are active. So just like fresh yeast, you can actually add instant yeast right into a dough and you don't need to wait for it to be proofed. It also works quicker than active dry yeast. And the rise time is around 50% speedier. So that will eliminate the time you spend, you know, like staring at your dough. I love to bake, but I'm a little bit scared of yeast. And so I think that learning more about the science behind it and actually how they work made me a little bit less fearful when tackling baking with them. And it makes you wonder why we don't use more instant yeast in a lot of our recipes. Yeah. Because it just sounds so much more forgiving. Yes, I agreed. I have given enough pep talks to <laughs> over the years that like I've convinced myself that it's nothing to be afraid of. But it doesn't mean that I'm making yeasted doughs every week and know what to do when things go wrong. But I also just – I think I I try to ferret out the recipes that are as forgiving as possible too. And a lot of them do call right. for instant yeasts. Yeah, I do think that honestly the genius no-need bread – did change my life a bit in, in thinking about yeasted doughs and realizing that they can be more hands-off. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a game changer. Yeah. And it, I think it's just brought a lot of awareness to a lot of other recipes that are very hands-off too. Like um, Alexander Stafford's no-need peasant bread that rises even quicker than Jim Leahy's and uh, it ends up baking in the buttered bowls. 
Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with that one? That's a really friendly one too. I honestly, be- I need to try it. I haven't tried that one. It's so good um, because you don't have to think about it the night before you want bread like you do with the the Jim Leahy one because she bakes it straight in these bowls. She bakes it in Pyrex bowls, but you can kind of do any like heat safe small bowl uh, to bake your bread. And in that way, you don't even like it allows the the dough to be so wet and not really even hold a shape because it's it's baked in the bowls. That's so cool. I didn't yeah. even realize you could like bake Pyrex <laughs> bowls like that. Yeah. And a, a lot of it, too, came from Alexandra's mom not really wanting to touch dough. She just was like not a fan of getting her hands all floury. So she um, had a technique where she also like folded in the the dough with forks, too, so she wouldn't have to touch it, which is just another like just to emphasize how much you really don't have to need. Um, you're just literally like folding it over with a fork once or twice. Wow. Wow, what a game changer. I can't wait to try it. I'm going to get off this call and start making it. I have bread with my dinner. Hey, it's Kristen. If you're enjoying this chat with Brett as much as I did, head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit follow so you don't miss out on other stories like this one. And like our recent episode with Mayuksen on seven immigrant women who shaped American cuisine as we know it today and who have not all been well-credited for their work. In the second half of this episode, Brett will talk us through more things that might come up for debate at the table over the holidays, and the one that she still hasn't gotten to the bottom of. I feel like there were also some themes in there of, you know, some distinctions that maybe once you get into the research, there actually is no real difference between them like there are theories but like they're sort of interchangeable or the opposite things that you maybe thought were the same thing but are actually different like for example hot cocoa and hot chocolate I think I would have used them interchangeably or just used whatever I felt like saying at the moment like I think hot cocoa just feels very cozy to me but there's there actually is a difference between them right yeah that was another one that I was pleased to see that there was a difference and that it it all makes sense like hot cocoa was with cocoa powder and hot chocolate is with melted chocolate like that when you think about it that makes sense but I did I too did not realize that there was a difference until I really started looking into that icing versus frosting versus glaze can you tell us about that that's probably my least favorite topic in the book just because (laughs) I really just like wanted it you know with all these you want a clear answer like of course you know you're you're picking up a book called what's the difference and you want to know, you know, you want the answers to these questions. Whereas with icing versus frosting versus glaze, I didn't really feel satisfied, which, you know, I guess is life. But, <laughs> you know, I would I would have loved a more clear cut answer. I think that is one of the like beautiful things about your book, though, that there isn't always a clear answer. Yeah, I'm I. I think like it's important to acknowledge that when that's the case, you know, mm-hmm. it's like sometimes we just don't get everything we want. even. <laughs> <laughs> Let me t- talk you through what made it so, you know, such a toughie. So yes. in my opinion, they are different things. I feel like a glaze is different from a frosting and an icing. And I feel like frosting and icing should be different things in my head. They were different, but According to all these books I was 
consulting for the answer. Like everything was calling them the same thing. Like the entry for frosting and Merriam-Webster like was literally icing, which was <laughs> really not helpful at all. Um, but yeah, I try I harder. Called, yeah. It's like, come on, like give me some more there. So I did call up Aaron McDowell, Food 52's, you know, baking extraordinaire. And the way she described it, which felt right to me, was that she said icing is something that you would spoon or pour, mm -hmm. though it might not be set to be as firm as frosting eventually. But she also did note that the actual baked good in question could also affect the wording. She said that she would say, she would not say she frosted cinnamon buns. She would say she iced the cinnamon buns, even if she was, what she was putting on them was cream cheese frosting. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, that's where we get into these issues that I was talking about. Um, luckily, glaze is actually distinct enough to be in its own category. And what makes it different is the fact that it's thinner than frosting and icing. And it's liquidy enough to be poured over the top of something and drip down the sides. Mm -hmm. And when it's dry, it has a harder, shiny, smooth surface and gives whatever it is anointing a kind of healthy shine and sheen. So there, at least we have something that's distinct. I feel like that still is kind of a good jumping off point for conversations too. Um, like if it's you're true. at a holiday table with your family or, you know, cookie swap or whatever, um, or over Zoom, however you're you're talking with your loved ones over the holidays, it might be interesting to ask them what they consider to be an icing versus a frosting. That's a, Kristen, what a great idea <laughs> and way to turn this, this into a positive. Great, great holiday conversation starter. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Brett Warshaw, author of the newsletter and the new book, What's the Difference? This week's show was put together by Cora Lee, Amy Schuster, and Emily Hanhan. If you discover something genius over the holidays, I would always love to hear from you at genius at food52.com or just tag me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment and leave us a five-star rating or review. Or send this episode to someone who likes to be that fun fact smarty pants at the dinner, or shall I say, supper table. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.